Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is... Are these books drunk? We're gonna get there. You sound so young. <laughs> I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Emma. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is your book up with a twist, and we are your happy hour ninjas. <laughs> this month we're reading Infinite Country by Patricia Engel. What an incredibly moving novel that gives us such a realistic account from each member of a family. Yeah. A family that not only deals with immigration while being torn by two countries, but also sexual assault, suicide, <sighs> alcoholism, degenerative disease, poverty, separation, deportation, the labels illegal versus undocumented, survival and belonging. Jeez. Wow. That's everything. Yeah. We get an accurate and truthful POV of three generations fighting for their lives and that of their family. Last week, we, Tres Amigas, discussed our death myths, <laughs> those difficult choices we've had to make, and whether or not we will open our doors to our parents later in life. Mm. I'm pretty certain that we will once again not entertain easy conversations this hora de felicidad, Though I can't wait to get things started. Yeah. Mm, sorry, B. But before oh, we what? do, and before I throw it over to Tia Emma, mm-hmm. please excuse the extraneous sounds you might hear during this episode. Oh. Podcasting during a pandemic might encounter some unexpected inclement weather every now and again, <laughs> including get possible hurricane hurricane. But Tia Emma, okay. Que trago? tienes para nosotras hoy? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Way to roll with the punches, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> well, with the new insight we got in this week's chapters, Ricardo whipped up another original recipe for us. What? How lucky are oh, we? Yes. Today's cocktail pairing is called... <laughs> <laughs> A Karina Kiwi. I think that's so cute. <laughs> we like alliteration here. Can you yeah. tell? I think I think so. Yeah, she is refreshing, summery, full of the hope and joy <sighs> that our Karina is not possessing currently. Yeah. Maybe by sipping on this one this week, things will turn around for her for the remainder of this book. If only. Wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wishful thinking, indeed. So while Brandy and I are enjoying our kiwi cocktail today, what mocktail will you be enjoying, Mama Mariana? Guess what? What? A Karina kiwi. What? Yes! With a twist. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm using my new favorite ingredient once again, Ritual Zero Proof Tequila. Oh, I love Yeah, so I'll have all the ingredients except for the alcoholic one. But I'll be able to sip along again with you guys. I love so I'm that very so much. Yeah, Me good. Too. Thanks, Ritual. Thanks, Thanks Ritual. Ritual. Well, here to share the recipe for this refreshing cocktail is our resourceful bartender, Ricardo. Ricardo. Hi, ladies. Welcome to the bar. 
Hi. How are you? Great. Increíble. Perfect. So you're ready for something exotic. Yeah, oh, please. Always. Perfect. So the cocktail of today is called Acarina Kiwi. Woo. And it's obviously made with a kiwi. Yeah. <laughs> so for this recipe, we're going to need a half of a kiwi, uh, three to five basil leaves, a half of an ounce of lime juice, three quarter of an ounce of simple syrup, an ounce of white rum, and an ounce of gin. Cool. And a little bit of lemon soda of our choice. You can go for a Sprite if you want. So Great. as the other cocktail we did where we had to model a fruit and leave, I mm. always recommend to put something liquid in the shaker mm. to make the model easier. So let's cut in uh, big chunks the kiwi and put the, ma the mint leaves and then add uh, the simple syrup and the lime juice. The basil leaves? Yeah. Oh, sorry. The basil, not the mint. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, muddle. You can muddle hardly, harder than the, the, the last time where we had the mint leaves. Mm -hmm. oh. The basil are like way more inclined to get like more pressure than oh. the mint leaves. So Mariana, okay. muddle harder. Harder. <laughs> okay. Got it. <laughs> and Check. then add Do your eyes. <laughs> Add your ice, add your spirit, shake and no strain. So we mm. can have uh, the visual green uh, look of the basil leaves and the kiwi. Mm. Yeah. And uh, for you, Marianne, uh, for you, Brandy, you can actually use a straw again. Woo! And yeah. Top two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. Woo! And top your glass <laughs> with, the, <laughs> with the lemon soda. And oh. here's uh, Karina Kiwi. Oh, my favorite thing about this cocktail is seeing the little black kiwi seeds floating around in the drink. It looks so beautiful. beautiful. Good. Oh. Good, good, good. I'm glad you liked it. So, Love it. Enjoy it and a la vostra salute, ladies. Gracias, Thank Ricardo. You. Ciao. Bye. Bye. All right, women. Cheers. Cheers. Salud. Salud. I knew you were going to say that. I love her. Mm. Listen, bartender Ricardo has been knocking it out of the park with these drinks. They've been so good. You have been a happy customer. I have been. Just keep serving them up. Yeah, what are you feeding him these days, Emma? Because <laughs> something has sparked his creativity and we're enjoying it. That. Oh my. <laughs> Here I was about to comment on the kiwi seeds. <laughs> <laughs> They're so oh, love the beautiful. Color. Ladies, it, they look beautiful. It's just gorgeous. You guys are going to have to warn me, though, if I get something stuck in my teeth. That's always my worst nightmare with drinks like Same. this. It has chunks of stuff. I'm like, oh, how's it that going to look? super cute. That's true. I'm always pissed when people don't tell me when I have things in my teeth, like in Same. general. But we've been very good about doing that to one another. We're usually like, if we see something, 
We tell each other. We say something. Well, you better because if I ever go to the bathroom on one of our happy hours <laughs> I and I find something that. in my teeth and you didn't that tell me, I'm coming for you worst. both. Can I tell you too, Jason has done that to me several times. <gasps> me too. Andrew has said that to me And then too. I'll go to the bathroom the and I'll see it and he'll be like, I didn't notice. And I'm like, yes. I know you noticed. There I would have no noticed. Way There's no way. See. That or eye boogies. Yes. Oh. I'm like, how do you not? With like the mascara yes, that gets exactly. like a little bit. Yes. You can't say something? You can't tell me? They don't understand. They don't understand. I don't it's understand so why they don't understand. I don't know. Well, I I'm think glad they your do men understand. are in on it too. They're just like embarrassed to say something or something. I don't know. Yeah, but I get the same response. Oh, I didn't notice. How? Well, if Ricardo does notice, he'll just take his fingernail and just jam it in my teeth and try to pick <laughs> it out like a monkey. I hope he sanitizes first. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I'll take it over him not telling exactly. me anything. I'd rather that. Oh, come on, True. guys. Well, I'm glad we're having a moment of levity before yeah, the discussion today. <laughs> All right. Well, let me bring us back down again. Okay. Cool. This week... Elena is recommended for a job cleaning a house, but when she's the only one who can calm the son of the couple she cleans for, they ask her to become his live-in nanny, and they allow her and her children to stay in the cottage in the back of their property. It's bigger and has more bedrooms than any place they've ever lived, and also provides a better school for her kids to attend. We get first-person accounts from Karina and Nando and learn that the pages we're reading are apparently written by Karina, now a high school graduate, having finished at the very top of her class with no hopes for attending college because of money and her undocumented status. And despite having gotten her to Barbosa, which is as far as he said he could take her, Aguja offers to drive Tadia even closer to her final destination, arguing that he'll feel better if he knows she made it there safely. And Mauro wonders what his life will be like with Talia gone, with his entire family now in the United States, having left him behind. <laughs> oh, I have to say, I know I mentioned it last week, you know, like the, how difficult it was going to be for this family. You know, some of them are undocumented. Some of them are allowed in country. Some of them aren't. It had never occurred to me that Mauro was going to be left alone mm. somehow. Like somehow that little detail had completely escaped me. Mm -hmm. The one that wanted to leave initially to help his family. Yeah. And now he's on the complete stuck outside. Oh, Yeah, his initial motivation was oh. his family, something better for his family. Right. I felt yes. so down reading those last couple chapters I that I was like, no. Like, I was genuinely really sad about that. Like, I, I'm starting to really feel for the characters. Oh, yeah. Too. And somehow Mauro is not somebody who I had had a ton of sympathy for throughout the earlier chapters. Mm. Oh. Somehow he wasn't, I don't know, he wasn't a completely sympathetic character to me. But lately, I think it's because he took care of Perla in her, yeah. you know, in her dying years. Right. He was there for her. And he's, you know, he's completely turned his life around and he was there for Talia and he's pining after his wife after all these years. He's yeah, you can really gather from, from, especially from these last chapters, how much he really adores his family. Yeah. Like the moment where we read about him tattooing the names of each oh, of his I children know. and his wife on his arm. Like just all of that. Like he just, he... He's, he's a gentle soul. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Mauro, 
For me, one of the many heartbreaking moments during these chapters is the theory Mauro has. He feared losing Perla's house would make the family more rootless without it. And her mother, already gone, once Talia joined Elena in the United States, there would be nothing left for her in Colombia. (sighs) By getting rid of their family home, they are turning the page of a very grueling chapter in their life story. The reality sets in that what was once is now lost, and the idea that home is where the heart is does, in fact, bear some weight. Yeah. So my question for you, ladies, where do you consider your roots to be? Where do you feel like you most belong? The thunder in the background I know. <laughs> makes that question so <laughs> really dramatic. I need a drink of my Karina Kiwi. Timing. Yikes. <laughs> oh, man. So intense. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll start. I'll start while you're sipping that Karina Kiwi to procrastinate. I see you. That's right, girl. You got me. <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm thirsty all of a sudden. I'm so no. thirsty. <laughs> I always say I think that my roots are really actually evenly balanced between Richmond and New York, if mm. that's possible. Mm. And I know that got really long roots in that case if they can stretch beautiful. to both. but. Mm. Every time I say that I'm going home, I'm always referring to Richmond. When I say mm. I'm home, I'm going home. Yeah. It's always Virginia. Wait. And I think But when you're what? in Virginia, do you ever say like I'll be going home soon and mean New York? Like when you're there, mm. does home mean here? Well, you know, it's interesting now that you ask that question cuz now I'm thinking about how I respond to that, but I think when I'm in Richmond, people will ask me, when are you headed back or when are you headed back to New York? I don't know that anyone actually has ever said, when are you heading back home? home. Because wow. they're Richmonders. And so they also, I think, intuitively mm-hmm. know Richmond is my home. Wow. You know, that's a really interesting question. I'm going to start paying attention to that now when I'm back and pay attention to how people phrase that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm in Richmond and they're asking when I'm going home, of course, without skipping a beat, I would say, ah, you know, tomorrow or whatever. Right, right. But I wonder but if don't. anyone actually does. I don't know. Mm. I'm really going to have to pay attention to that. That's really interesting. It's interesting to think about whether that's an energy that you give off somehow mm-hmm. that clues them into that's not home, this is home or something. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know because if I'm in Richmond, I think that they also are like, well, this is home. Right, they take it as a given. This is where you're from. Yeah, like where's home number two? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know. (sighs) But I do think that I feel that way hugely in part because Richmond is still where my parents live. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. even if they didn't live there anymore, I would still say that my roots are from Richmond. Mm -hmm. Like my roots as a as a human, it just it shaped so much of who I am. Yeah. In terms of how I interact with strangers, smiling at people I pass, Mm -hmm. although that has changed a lot the longer I've lived here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Getting nitty gritty in nature, the importance of family, friends and gatherings, et cetera, et cetera. But my current roots are tied so deeply in New York that now I can't imagine ever living here. Leaving here. Mm, ha! Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Freud is Where did that one come Yikes. from? Yikes. Leaving and living are very close to each other. <laughs> are they, Emma? 
Are they? Mm. <laughs> yes, that is actually. The question. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I was actually I was I was with my parents really recently, and we were having some of these conversations about where we, and by we I mean Ricardo and I, where we see ourselves Oof. putting. You know, wow. going and yeah. and I those asked, are intense conversations oh, to have. My God, tell me about it. And I actually I asked my parents that question because we had brought this up on a on an episode really recently, maybe last week or two weeks ago, when we were saying, you know, are we do we plan on taking care of our parents? And I was like, of yeah. course, yeah. Um, and I said, I don't imagine that my parents will ever leave Richmond, right. and that mm-hmm. was something that came up. In this recent visit wow. with them, is I said, huh. do you think that you would ever leave Richmond? And they were like, well, we have one kid who lives in Chicago mm-hmm. and one kid who lives in New York. Mm-hmm. And eventually, hopefully, these kids will bear grandkids. Yeah. And so they said, you know, if it made sense for us to be closer, we might consider that. But then my dad was like, but... I don't want that. I'd rather you come to Richmond. <laughs> so it's it is that tricky. Yeah. It's a tricky conversation. Of course. But yeah, I do and I and I go back and forth about this all the time cuz I always say I never want to leave New York, mm-hmm. but with every passing year I'm like maybe I could leave New York. Wow. I mean, when I say leave New York, I mean to go to like Jersey or Connecticut <laughs> okay. or somewhere within okay. driving distance of the city. She's All not right. leaving us okay. yet, Brandy. That's tolerable, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. I have to be able to commute into the city. Great. Perfect. I just may live on the outskirts where I can just hear birds and suburbia. not loud-ass neighbors. Right, yeah. right. Ooh, suburbia, I don't know. That's a step too far. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> What well, I we will don't, say, we don't need to get anxious here. <laughs> <laughs> this question was not meant for that. But what I, to answer this, the second part of your question, yeah. which is where do you feel like you belong? I feel like I belong in nature, oh. at the ocean, and in the sun. Oh. And I can find that in several places. But That's very I belong outside. And hopefully with a body of water that sounds like waves. Oh. oh. Wow, I love that, Emma. I love oh. that, too. Yeah. And it kind of comes with so much clarity mm. for you, mm-hmm. I think, maybe. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is interesting because I don't live near right. that. Right. But that could be on the horizon. <sighs> I can drive there, okay? Cars are great. Hey, cars are great. Yeah. <laughs> do you need, do you need to take a sip of your Karina Kiwi? <laughs> did that did that question prompt <laughs> the need for a sip of alcohol? <laughs> One, two, three sips. <gasps> Chug it. Oh. You okay, oh, Andy. Yeah. This um this question is I feel like it's it's a hard one. I think there are a lot of really beautiful answers to this question. I definitely see my family as home. Like wherever I'm with them, I feel the most peaceful and the most myself for sure. Mm. But I think the older I get, the more I find my aim is to just be at home. This is going to sound so ridiculous. No, I know what you're going to say and I'm here for it. The older I get is to just be at home with nothingness. Oh. I don't know if you ladies saw That's that. That's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? 
with myself. Well, I think it's the same idea, actually. Mm. Did you ladies see the Jim Carrey documentary, um, Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond? Oh, my God. Did you see it? Oh, I need to rewatch it. But it's this wonderful documentary that has all of this behind the scenes footage. I did. Yes. Sorry. From when he's playing Andy (laughs) Kaufman in Man on the Moon. Yes. Amazing. Yes. So in it, there's this beautiful quote that he says, we are born into a family. Your parents choose a name and say, you're going to go to Harvard. You're going to be a doctor. You're a Catholic. You're a Jew. Everything is abstract structures that's supposed to hold you together. I've given them up. I don't need to be held together. I'm fine floating through space like Andy, flying 6,000 miles an hour around the sun, balancing on tectonic plates that are floating on lava, ready for the end times. And when he said that, I was like, oh, I think actually, ultimately, that's home like that feeling Mm. of not needing to be tied to anything or Mm. anyone like I think that's the ultimate arrival and I don't think that's not to say like I can't love and adore my family or create a home while I'm here of course but it is definitely an acknowledgement that like this is a temporary home this is a Mm. temporary situation we're just here visiting and then who knows? Like, I think being okay with that question of who knows of that unknown yeah. is the ultimate home. Like, that's yeah. the ultimate okay. Which is why, Emma, when you said, like, being okay with yourself, like, I do think that's what that is. Being okay mm-hmm. with the fact that you're alone mm. in this it's world. It's very Buddhist. Yeah. I, I think that that's right. Too. I think that's right. Yeah. And do you know that it just cleared up as you were answering my question oh my god is there a rainbow (laughs) there might be but literally it just stopped raining so brandy are you a a saint Um, yes listen i don't know i'm just gonna sip on my alcohol (laughs) we'll 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 find out in due time (laughs) maybe in our next slide right (laughs) i seriously love that well, my my answer to my question is like very literal, I guess. Like it's just very pretty much. The reason why I ask this is because I've been questioning a lot when I'm asked, where are you from? I say, I'm Colombian. Right. And I've mm. always been very proud to say, yo soy Colombiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But reading more about my country and so much of the history that I am not fully aware of or I've Mm. heard stories of, but I haven't really done enough research or just like really immersed myself in in the culture as a whole. Because the last time that I was there, I was 13 years old. It's a lifetime ago. And you've always been raised here, right? Yes. You grew up here. I grew up. the age of two or a little bit before I was two is when my parents came, my mom for the second time, my dad for the first time came to the United States, to Miami, Florida. That's uh-huh. where I was raised. Yeah. But I was born in Bogota, Colombia. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's very tricky because I will always say I'm Colombian. Right. I used to say, I feel like the idea of my roots has really evolved throughout the years because I used to say, yes, the same as Emma, like my home, my hometown is Miami, Florida. 
But I've been living in New York far longer now. Yeah. Yeah. My baby girl is going to be born in New York. Yeah. A New Yorker. A full-blown New Yorker. <laughs> crazy. So in a way where, where I feel like I fully belong and where my roots truly are is where my immediate family is. Mm. And my immediate family is now Andrew and my baby girl with waffles. And yeah. My parents are like kind of holding the roots to that because they wow. are my home. Right. But it's more of the idea of what my home is, not necessarily the place. It's more of where I've received the love, where I've received the protection, where I know that I'm safe, where I feel like I can be me mm -hmm. and still be able to grow and continue changing and evolving. So I think that's that's what I hold true as to where I feel like I most belong. I belong to them and I belong to myself. Yeah. I want to ask you because, and I've never thought of this until now, but when anyone would ask you about your family or when you would reference my family, mm -hmm. I feel like you were always talking about you and your parents as yeah. your family. Yeah. Do you feel now that you're about to have a child that your family now means you and Andrew and baby girl and waffles it's like does that change your definition of your family in a way that's why I'm saying that it's evolving because I do think that that's happening to me like now so I'm now starting to believe that yeah and now seeing my mom take care of me as I continue taking care of my baby girl before she enters this world it's a whole different dynamic yeah. Like when they say that maternal instinct kicks in, it really does. Like within the past month, I just feel very different. And I feel like I'm I'm becoming a, a woman in a yeah. very strange, like a different stage of womanhood. And I'm mm. and I've been I'm becoming a mother. So yeah, that whole idea of family continues evolving. Yeah, it's just so fascinating to me because when people are when once you have your child and people are going to ask you about your family, you'll be referencing the three of you, yeah. right? And waffles, yeah. yeah. And then it's like your parents then will be referenced probably as my parents. Yeah, like exactly. it probably change like right. all the vernacular around it. I exactly. think changes, and I just think that's so fascinating. Yeah. What's crazy is that very quickly, my mom has been having really. Severe allergic reactions to waffles. So oh. we've been having to have many conversations of like, how is she going to handle staying here for long periods of time? Mm -hmm. And with that conversation came along the conversation of, well, you have to take care of your family. You can't choose me over waffles. Waffles is your family oh. now. You have to think about you, your husband and your daughter and waffles. And I can come in and out of your life, but this is your family. So even oh she's acknowledging that fact. That's got to be it's, hard. It's 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 a lot to take in at once. Yeah. And it's also a very beautiful thing, but it's yeah. also extremely overwhelming. And I can't believe I'm at this place in time now. This is all reminding me of something of a quote I wrote down when Aguho said to Talia when she was talking about, like, I think it was right before they were about to, before he was about to drop her off on her last leg to continue yeah. the journey. Mm -hmm. She was talking about her mom in some fashion of the sense. And he said to her, Colombia is your mother too. Right. Mm -hmm. Just that 
mother and also, you know, in a deeper sense, like Mother Earth, you know, like yeah. the, the place that raised you. Right. Just the fact, I, I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm, in this moment, I'm having a revelation that all of these words, family and mother and home, they just have so many definitions and they mean so right. many different things to so many different people. Right. I had the same sort of feeling, I think, when I think um, it's Karina who labels the United States of America at one point the United States of Diasporica. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was such a beautiful thing to say in terms of this country being sort of a mother to so many different mm-hmm. cultures and so many different ethnicities and people and, you know, people from all different walks of life and stuff. But at the same time, you know, she is somebody who's coming from a very singular experience. And to her, the United States of Diasporica probably has a very limiting um, quality to it. You know what I mean? There are a lot of people who would not acknowledge that this is a country where many people are meant to come and live and it's meant mm-hmm. to be mother to many different types of people. There is a contingent of people who believe that they are, you know, the rightful whatever, mm-hmm. the, the rightful owners of this country or something. Yeah, exactly. We are American. Mm-hmm. Right. How did you ladies feel about the narrator switching up on us? I was just going to ask about that. We learned that Karina is kind of reading her pages. And all of a sudden, she's the one that starts basically telling us her perspective on the situation. And then Nando comes in as if he is talking to Karina and then expressing how he's felt this whole time. What did you? First of all, I don't understand that because when she introduced herself as being the author of these pages, she hadn't been writing from her perspective prior. We were getting a third person account. Mm -hmm. So I was like, the author of these pages starting now? I think it's as if she's written the book, like as if she's telling the story. Right, but I didn't get that perception. Like just a few chapters prior to that, it wasn't coming from a first from exactly, and that's what's confusing because then we do get first person from Nando. So it's like, why are we getting first person from him, but Mm -hmm. not these other Mm -hmm. chapters? I agree. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm kind of wondering why. I agree with that. It, it was a little confusing. But what a, I really loved about it is last week I mentioned how each member of this family had a completely different perspective because of mm. what they were experiencing and what stage yeah. in their life they were in while experiencing these events. And now we're seeing very clearly how each of them saw these experiences so differently. Like we see from Karina, the resentment that she has of what her family did and why she's in the place that she's in. I mean, could you imagine being sharing valedictorian with someone that where you worked so hard for so many years to get to that place, to get that title, and because you are not documented, you can't. You're just unacknowledged. You're not acknowledged. And you're basically given the boot and you can't even go to school. Right. I think that's the thing. 
similarly to, to you two, I was I was a little irritated at the shift of the narrator because I just wasn't quite sure what it was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. I liked having the insight for sure into these two characters that we hadn't gotten any you know insight into, but it felt a little too late. Like it felt like mm. this should have come into play earlier. earlier. But one thing that I did love about it is that we get a, you know, we've all talked about what beautiful writing this is. And if the idea is that Karina, this undocumented, you know, girl, essentially at this point, has written all of this, it's such a testament to her talent and her intelligence and to her emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. to be able to understand all of these different perspectives and piece all of this together for her family. So in that way, I thought it was a beautiful testament to somebody who may not get to enjoy the spoils of what this country has to Mm -hmm. offer because she's not, quote unquote, legal here. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And even though she doesn't get to enjoy those things, even though she may never get to go to college, even though she may never get to have the job or the life that she deserves, mm-hmm. she is so supremely talented mm-hmm. and gifted and smart. Intuitive. Intuitive. Yeah. Like she's just so intelligent. And and so if 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 this first person narration serves to just show us that... Like, great. I'm, I think that's worth it. You know what I mean? Well, and I do think along with that, there did seem to feel this week in particular, a lot of judgment from the author about um, certain parts of America. Mm. And dare I say, as a whole, the Caucasian race, actually. Yeah. Mm. And and I think a lot of it is is warranted. I know that's a really huge statement to make. Um, it's so funny because when we were just having that conversation about where I think that I might want to live and Mariana, you were like the suburbs. And I was like, oh, no, I don't know about the suburbs. Mm. It reminded me of a quote I read in this that I wrote down. The quote is, I figured Talia would eventually learn there is no place that can turn a person suicidal with the quickness of a North American summer. (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah, like I I kind of felt that a little bit when I read it enough so that I wrote it down. And then later we read that Elena's convinced that depression is a quote-unquote gringo problem. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. I don't know that I've really ever thought about that before Mm -hmm. and how they break that down. And then it started to make me think about mass shootings because that's also been a theme that keeps coming Mm -hmm. up in this novel is the amount of shootings and the amount of violence, especially with guns Mm -hmm. that we have in this country. Yes. And so I actually Googled that, and there was a study that from 1982 to 2021, or at least that's when the study was was made, the majority of shooters and mass shootings are white. Yeah. And so I thought, and, you know, that comes out of depression and, and clinical psychological, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to open that can of worms. But I do think it's interesting that, uh, narrative that the author is kind of painting that these are really huge issues that are leading to well that 
there's a lot of American issues that are leading to much bigger yeah. problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, also we get an account of Stoneman Douglas High School, that shooting mm-hmm. that happened in 2018. Right. And so now, and there's been references, they, he was never named, but I think it's pretty obvious that this is all going down during Trump's inauguration. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So there's a lot of backhanded shade, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also really broke my heart, and it was something that I hadn't really considered before reading these chapters when, you know, Nando is facing being bullied at school and he has that horrible thing happen to him mm. that then also involves his sister and horrible things being said to her. And they can't say anything about it because even though Nando is documented, he fears for his exactly. undocumented family exactly. members. So he also exists in this weird limbo where... I mean, he's a citizen, but is he? Like, does he really have full citizenship privileges? No. Like, he's not somebody who feels like he can call the police if he needs help. You know, he's he fears for his family in that situation. And the idea of passing mm, came oh, along again. Yeah. As we read in The Vanishing, vanishing Half, Nando's the one that brings right. this up, of being able right. to pass as someone who's white, so he doesn't have to deal with the bullying and the the abuse that he's dealing with yeah. every day from his classmates. Right. I use the word I use the word bullying, but it is abuse. It's mm. yeah. Knowing that he was born in the United States, but still he doesn't have he doesn't feel like he has the rights right. to be able to be free. He doesn't yeah. have the right to use the rights that mm-hmm. he's entitled right. to, actually. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really sad, too, that it seems like it seems like Elena and her kids, there's such a wedge between her and her children. She's protected them by keeping her rape a secret, but she doesn't realize that they've also protected her and each other by keeping, you know, that persecution that they face at school a secret. And I thought that was really interesting in contrast with Mauro and Talia, who seem closer than ever. Like, their mm-hmm. relationship seems super tight. And I, I found that just really tragic because Elena has given up so much for her kids. And mm-hmm. in some ways, they're, they're really kind of strangers to each other. There's a beautiful quote that I wrote down that says just that, living in a country of strangers. And I I believe that Nando brings that up, if I'm not mistaken, at one point. And it is. It's like living in a country where because you don't feel like you belong or your roots are not necessarily there. Right. Which is crazy because he speaks the language. Mm -hmm. He is a citizen. I mean, even Karina, she was born and raised here. Like, so what is it? Karina was born in Colombia. Right. I'm sorry. She was... Raised here. But she was raised. raised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. For all intents and purposes, she's an American. Right, right. She wouldn't know Colombia when she went back to it if she had right. to. So, yeah, that's a very, that's a really strange thing to think about. Similar, similarly to how Talia won't know the country where she was born. Right. When she goes when back. When she goes back. Because right. she has all these expectations of what it is, but she might behave with the 
and expectations of what her family will be Mm -hmm. when she gets there. When she gets there. And that worries me, too, because she's so close with her dad. And I, I worry that because of the relationship we already see that Elena has with her other two children, not that it's bad, but it just doesn't seem to have the closeness that Talia has with her dad. And I'm a little worried that she's coming mm. here with not only expectations of what the country will be, but what her family will be when she gets here. And, like, I'm just worried that not only will she miss her country so much, like, I think she's just going to really miss her dad. What was very interesting to me was the conversations that they would, that the children that Karina and Nando would have with Mauro over the phone. Mm. And they were, they were conversations that were so detached. So surface level. So surface level that they wouldn't, they don't really know their father. Karina kept on, like you could feel her resentment of like this, this Mm -hmm. man left us. Yes, it wasn't by his choice, but it seems like he just calls because he has to, not because he necessarily wants to, which in fact that's not the which case. Is so at not the case. All. But similarly, they talk to him because they have to, right. not really because they want they to. They want to. Yeah. And then knowing, like you said, Brandy, that Dalia has such a closeness to Mauro, they have that relationship and she's leaving that. Yeah. To find what she thinks is something that will be like the family as she's always dreamed of, but it seems like she's going to hit again a harsh reality. Yeah. I was thinking about the title of this book, Infinite Country. Mm. And at a base level, it feels like it's a way of saying your country is limitless. It's always there. It's always home and infinitely impossible to measure in the sense That your relationship to it is always changing. Yeah. And then I was thinking about how your country will always be there, but your family is finite. And while the bloodline will continue once you've gone, the time we get to spend with our loved ones is finite, not infinite. Yeah. I spent this past weekend in Pittsburgh with most of my extended family on my mom's Mm -hmm. side. And I got to spend really great quality time with my aunts, my mom's two older sisters who are both nuns, what, what? (laughs) (laughs) We were there in part to celebrate one of my aunt's 80th birthday, which is today. Happy birthday, Aunt Ellen. Happy birthday. And one of the things gifted to her was the promise of creating a family story tree. As it dawned on us that she's now the matriarch of our family and oh wow we're not ignorant to the fact that one day we won't have our older generation of family members <sighs> to pass down the stories of the previous generations mm. I got to hear stories of my family I had never heard before like how the daughter of my great grandma which I think would make her my cousin was trying to figure out I, I can't remember no. I have no idea. Know. You know, I don't even know who that makes her. I've had anyway. too much Karina Kiwi to <laughs> Well, anyway, how the daughter of my great-grandma was killed by one of the first cars actually in Pittsburgh when she Whoa. was eight, which I had never heard before, and how that event turned my great-grandma into a woman who was completely fearful of almost everything, oh, rightfully so. Wow. And started walking in her sleep in the middle of the night to the point where my uncle had to sleep on the floor outside her door to make sure that she was safe. Like, I had never heard that before. And I was like, this feels like a very important thing in my bloodline that Mm. I never knew. Mm. 
So this all got me thinking about generational trauma and how the traumas of our family members from generations prior, going who knows how far Mm -hmm. back, are intrinsically passed down to us through each of our family members before us, which is a fascinating Mm -hmm. subject to think about in regards to this novel. Yeah. So I was wondering if either of you know of any events that occurred in your own families from no matter how long ago Mm. that's affected your family as one giant familial unit without maybe even realizing where it comes from. Oof. I really love this question. I don't have a great answer to it. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It reminds me, though, of the idea of genetic memory, which I read for the first time in my favorite, favorite, favorite book ever, 100 Years of Solitude. <laughs> uh, so genetic sweet, memory sweet. is the idea that memories can, in a sense, be passed down through generations in your actual genes. Not specific memories, but more like general vague things, impressions, the mm. way you respond to things. That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know that I've always had a very deep awareness since I was a super little kid of the possibility of sexual violence. Like I've always been extremely aware that I'm a female living in a world where men can very easily do harm. And they do. They do do harm. And there is a lot of that in my family Mm. Not my immediate family, but like in my extended family mm. from well before I was mm. I was born. Like, you know, I've I've heard the stories, some of the stories since. And the stories are fucking crazy. Oh my goodness. Um But I have wondered if it's possible that that awareness in me has come from generations before, that mm. that has somehow been mm. passed down, either through genetic memory or, you know, generational trauma, whatever it is. I do feel like somehow that's instilled in me and I don't know why. There's really no explanation Hmm. other than that as a possibility for why that would be the case. Wow. Would you ever ask your mom or your grandma Mm. if there were things that they hadn't told you or does that feel too scary and personal? Yeah, like my family, within our family, it's not like an unspoken thing necessarily. I didn't know those things when I was a very little kid, obviously. Mm-hmm. Of course. But like now, you know, that I'm older. Yeah, like I definitely know the stories. Um, and they're hard. They're hard stories. Mm, they're hard sorry. stories, some of them about people that I love very much. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I'm sorry. Sorry, too. Uh, along with Brandy, I, I really think this is... This is a wonderful question, Emma. It's a lot. It's, it's, a, lot. it's a great, great, great question. All of the questions so far with this book have been. I, I know. My mom's grandmother, so my great grandmother, became a widow at the age of thirty-five mm. with eleven oh children God. to oh, raise. Geez. Oh my God! My grandmother was two at the time when she lost her dad. Uh, was she the youngest? Yes. So, and he uh, he passed away of cancer. That goes to show me because I've known my mom as such a dedicated and resilient individual that I think the whole idea of work and work to play and work to live stems from my great great grandmother because she had to. To survive, mm. like what else could yeah. she do? She was mm-hmm. left without the person who was supporting the family, so she mm-hmm. had to do anything possible to 
be able to give a future to 11 children <laughs> at the age Good of 35. God. And so I'm very grateful that my grandmother somehow like that was passed down from generation to generation that that was instilled in me. On the flip side, my grandmother didn't really necessarily have a, a male role model in her life. Yeah. So for her, I'm now starting to understand certain things that she idolized. And I feel that material things and being a little bit more superficial and just um, acknowledging beauty as a as something to praise and something to like mm. have at like this caliber was something that maybe became part of her character and her personality because mm-hmm. she didn't yeah. necessarily have that structure or or learned the pure values at a very young age. She kind of also had to survive because she didn't mm-hmm. have that male figure. So I do know that that's something that my mom has tried to change because that's what she learned. And for me, when she was kind yeah. of like teaching me my values and like what I needed to learn what, of what was important in life or ultimately important. My mom tried to dissuade me from having that same mentality, yeah. but it's very hard to detach oneself from something that you were taught at such a young age or something that you just saw happening. Sure. So there is a dichotomy there. There's, there's both sides, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we kind of, or that at least I learned from those both sides to kind of have that balance in life of knowing that work is important and it's valued yeah. and will get you somewhere and also not to think that beauty is everything. Mm. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> I off of what you're saying, I read a wonderful interview with Patricia Engel in which she says, "We define ourselves by the stories we're told about mm. who we are." our history, Mm. our ancestry, and what that makes us. Mm. So when I was a kid, my mom was a master at telling us stories about ourselves, about our future selves and who we would be. I mean, from the time when I was like teeny, teeny, tiny, before she'd even had the opportunity to go to college herself, she would tell us that even though no one else in our family had gone to college, we would go to college. She'd tell us that we would wait to have children until we were older and had had enough time to travel and pursue our own goals and dreams first. She would tell us that we would be hard workers like our dad, that we would be successful. Mm. She was working hard to shape our perceptions of ourselves for as long as I can remember. Mm. And to this day, a mantra that I whisper to myself is, like all the time, Mm. I whisper to myself, whatever you are, be a good one. And it's a story that I, to this day, I tell myself about myself as if I can like will it into existence. (laughs) Whatever I'm doing, I'll find mastery at it and success at it if I work diligently. Mm. And so I'm curious, do you two have a mantra that you live by? And what stories, if any, do you tell yourself about yourself either to shape the past, the present or the future? (laughs) Another one. Another home run. Another (laughs) home run. You want to take this one, E? Oh, and yeah, I love this too because you know I love a mantra. Mm -hmm. Do you now? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I use mantras a lot. Oh. Um, And the one I've been using 
lately for a while is I Trust My Journey. That one has oh, really been. Yeah. That's good. That's that's the that's the the hard hitter <laughs> currently. Yeah. But I think I have a new one which comes from my uncle Stu apparently. Oh. Um, my uncle Stu is the one that passed away a yeah. year ago and we couldn't go to his funeral because of COVID. <laughs> and so we had a memorial just a few weeks ago actually in Chicago which is uh or an unveiling, which in the Jewish tradition is a year after a person has passed, you gather to literally unveil the headstone for the first time so you can mm. see it. And it's like a moment of reflection. So I was there for that. And the words written on his headstone were, it was the quote, take it easy, but take it. Oh. oh. And... I'd never heard that before. And so my dad spoke at the at this unveiling and he explained where that came from because my dad is the one that actually chose what was going to go on the headstone. Mm. Oh. Although it was a it was a suggestion from my mom when my dad couldn't figure out what to put. My mom is actually <laughs> the one that it's suggested it. I yeah. know, right? Oof. But so they they put this on there because apparently, and I, this I think is really interesting, from what my dad was saying, Stu used to send mail and letters and like newspaper clippings oh, and any that. random things to tons of family members for years. You would just get anything random in the mail. And for me, it was always signed U.S. Uncle Stu. That was it. Aww. But apparently for a lot of people, he used to write as well. T-I-E-B-T-I. Take it easy, but take it. And so my dad then tried to understand where that came from, like why he used to sign his letters off like this. And the history of it is actually Studs Terkel, who is a Chicago writer who also had a radio program, used to always sign off his shows with that line, take it easy, but take it. So my dad thinks that that's where Stu got got it from. from. Oh, and it's just this beautiful, I mean, I think you can interpret it in, in a lot of ways, but the way that uh, my dad had interpreted that is that you don't take yourself too seriously, but live your life to the fullest. Mm, yeah. And I really like that. So now I feel like I want to I wanna take that. Yeah. Take it easy. I want to take that <laughs> with me. Yeah. And I was also reminded when you were asking about stories that we tell ourselves my mom reminded me, I went through a a moment of self-doubt recently, I'll say. Uh, I, hit, I was kind of like hit up against a wall and feeling pretty nervous. And my mom reminded me that when I was around five, I was playing around a game of baseball at a, at a birthday party <laughs> with, with the adults. And I steadfastly walked up to home plate to get the bat. I think I had a person one arm and I walked up to get the bat to go to bat. And some adult was like, wow, you seem really ready to go, you know, to this little girl. And I apparently responded, I just believe in myself. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Which, of course, I don't remember that. Oh. But it took my mom reminding me that. And I thought, yeah, that little girl was pretty fearless. Mm. And 
It really, I don't know, it just kind of really changed the whole way that I looked at what I was doing. And I was able Mm. to kind of hold my little five-year-old self hand in my hand and be like, yeah, we believe in ourselves. We got this. Mm. And it it really actually helped get me through that moment. And so I've been thinking about that a lot to shape my present and my future, Mm. just reminding myself that that little girl is is still there. Yeah. I think think there's something really beautiful about connecting with your younger self Mm -hmm. it takes you to places of major empathy for yourself yes few things actually can bring me to like cathartic tears as like imagining holding the hand of of my younger self yeah Mm -hmm. it's really powerful it is i would have loved to have met both of you at the age of five to see how you two were (laughs) I imagine Brandy was super spunky with those fringe boots, (laughs) directing everyone around. And Mariana, you were probably wearing like tutus and like twirling and just bringing smiles to everyone's faces. And getting into everyone's business, yeah. And Emma was Ah, walking around. I just believe in in myself. myself. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So cute. Guys. What's interesting is people always like say that going back in time or going back to when you were younger that you're regressing. But a lot of times it's actually the complete opposite. It is cathartic Mm -hmm. and it's finding Mm -hmm. that inner child in you that was fearless and had so much Mm -hmm. power and so much creativity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's healing. Oh, yeah. Before you started to shut yourself down Down. before other outside influences started to shut you down. When others influenced your story about yourself. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's true. Well, for me, my mantras or the words of wisdom that I say that I tell myself have definitely changed. And I've had like different ones throughout my different stages of life. But I... To your question, I'm going to narrow it down to three. Oh. Um, The first one I'll say, I guess, perseverance, dedication, and resilience will always get you where you want to be. And I think this has definitely been passed down by my parents because I watched my parents go through so many ups and downs and more ups than downs. And I think I've mentioned this to you ladies before, so forgive me if I'm saying this again, but pregnancy brain here. My mom, mm-hmm. my mom ended up going to college when I went to college, and that's when she right. and afterwards she got her mm-hmm. master's. So like yeah. watching her do that after having dedicated her whole life to me was like pretty amazing and something that I wanted yes. to like really just hold on a pedestal and kind of you know emulate. That's spectacular. Yeah. And then having my own obstacles in my career as a dancer, I knew that giving up wouldn't be part of my vocabulary and it had never been. So the idea of the no or the idea of the rejection or the idea that I wouldn't be able to come back was something that I was not even going to give the time of day. Yeah. So I've shown throughout many, many times that I've have that I do have this resilience and this perseverance and this dedication. And it continues to bring me to where I've always thought I wanted to be. I'm not necessarily at the place where I eventually want to be at, but I feel like that is part of the path or my journey to get there. Uh, 
mantra or quote that I've seen as of late that it's actually written all over the Upper West Side is dream until it becomes a reality. Like Aww. people have been writing this over and over throughout the par- pandemic with chalk oh, wow. on, on the sidewalks <laughs> all over the Upper West Side. I actually That's saw beautiful. one today. That's nice. And I, I think I'm a firm believer that you can will anything into reality. Mm-hmm. It might take manifest that shit. Yeah, it might take yeah. a whole lifetime, but why not dream it until it becomes your reality? Yeah. My dad has always had this kind of like premonition that my dreams will come true and that there's something big waiting for me. And it's you know what? I I fully believe him. Like I know that that is going to happen when it will. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. But it's something that it will happen. And the last one, it performer will. at heart. This is mm-hmm. this is the story that I continuously tell myself. That even when I'm not performing or I am not booking a gig or I'm not working on set or I'm not on stage, the idea of being able to move people and move audiences and make them feel something. That's where my love and passion lies. And that's what keeps my heart beating, I think, ultimately. Yeah. That's. I always end up. It's lovely. All my answers always end up being so sappy. (laughs) But it's the truth. That's That's who I am. That's who I am. It's just heart forward. It's oh, true. Yeah, I yeah. like that. with your heart. Yeah. 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 One thing I do want to say, Emma, that I meant to touch on earlier when you were talking about Infinite, the title Infinite Country. Oh, yeah. And I'm curious if, you know, you kind of let us in on your theories of what that title could mean. And I'm curious if you have any, Mariana. But my thought this week for the first time, because I've been sort of puzzling over the title, too. My thought this week for the first time was that infinite country could refer to the fact that, you know, the countryside is borderless. There are no actual borders. There, A border is not a real thing. It's not tangible. Mm. It's a line on a map that somebody drew once mm. or something. You know what I mean? It's a fake thing. And the idea of an infinite country would mean that Mauro could come to North America. Mm. There would be no division between North America and South mm. America. There, there would be no borders. It would be infinite and all things would be possible. And I hope, I hope, mm. I hope that in the final chapters that we read, this family gets to realize some semblance of that. That's a beautiful and really sad thought it because is. I'm no. I'm like, yeah, no, you're right. There are no tangible borders. No. However, we have dictated that the ones that right. are there are so important. Right. And we make it so fucking difficult. They're so important. They're worth like fighting a war over. Mm-hmm. Or, 
Yeah, I mean, and I think that's something that's being explored in the chapters that we read this week is the question of like, who has the power to declare right and wrong over anyone? Talia wonders that about, you know, the nuns are telling her to write that letter of apology to the man that she hurt. And the nun says, it's not up to you to decide who deserves retribution. And Talia replies, then why is it up to a judge and now you how to discipline me? Mm -hmm. And it comes up in the thoughts Karina has about who gets to decide who's undocumented and the fact that she's denied the right, as we said, to speak at graduation, despite the fact that she's one of the top two students in her class. It comes up repeatedly in who has a right to work Mm -hmm. and seek happiness and security for their families and where they get to do that. Who has the right to choose who has papers and who doesn't? Mm -hmm. Who decides Mm -hmm. where these borders are and where they aren't? It's uh, it's such a difficult, a heartbreaking, sad question with with very real consequences for people. It's yeah. devastating. Devastating consequences. Yeah. You know, that makes me think about the interview that Ricardo and I had to go through oh, God. to prove that our marriage was legal so that he could oh. get his green card and stay. Mm. And I feel actually really fortunate because we have it so much easier than so many other nationalities. I mean, it's so sad to say this, but honestly, the fact that he's Italian makes it so much easier. And and I've heard mm. so many stories that if he were from a different country, mm-hmm. it actually wow. would have been. It would make it nearly impossible. Well, yeah, they just, they're so much more skeptical. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. And I just was thinking about what, off of what you just said, Brandy, that the woman that interviewed us, that one woman had the power to decide if we were oh legit or not. Oh, my God. One oh person. My God. And who's to say? Like, if right. one of us, yeah. And who the fuck is she? Who is that person? Right. Some well, person. Yeah. If one of us had said something that was off to her, she could have said, I don't believe this i think it's fake oh my god and that would have been that and so when you think how crazy that is to put all of that power into one person for such a huge choice and i was actually thinking about that in in some of what we read at the very end actually of these chapters when nando was saying to karina i know you want to have your dad with us so that we can learn the small habits of how he lives like we know about how our mom, you like the small habits right. of your mom. I thought about that too in relation to that interview. When we were prepping for that interview, I needed to memorize, I mean, I knew a lot of it anyway, but I was so scared. Like, what if they asked, you know, a name of someone and I forgot it or, and then I got yeah. nervous and I, and I fluttered. And I kept thinking to myself in prepping for that, why don't they ask questions like specific to that person? Like, I could tell you every little habit of his. Mm-hmm. I could tell you, how he sleeps, how he drinks, how he puts his shoes on, you know? And I thought, that's really who makes up. That Those are the things that make up a relationship. Yeah. And, and what make them feel real and feel whole. And, and in their case, in Mauro and, and Elena's case, it is so hard once they're separated and they're they're forced to have to do all of that on FaceTime and lo- uh, yeah. phone calls, you miss a lot of that. They're strangers so, to they're each strangers. other. Well, I, I love that you're saying all this, Emma, because for me, it kind of ties everything that I, I was thinking that infinite country meant. 
because I feel like infinite oh, country. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, no, I no, took no. your question, Brandy, and no, I know. But, it, oh, no, but, it, but it, ties it, it ties it all because we've been talking about how this book is so rich about the stories and the mythology and the stories that come down from generation to generation. There's a quote that I wrote that I love that said, death of a loved one was like a house on fire. Yeah. So if you think about it, when a loved one dies, as you mentioned in your question, Emma, how now you have your matriarch, but she will be she will be gone at some point. Those stories will be lost forever. But if we continue telling, retelling these stories and passing it down through generation and generation, it will be there will be an infinite country, an infinite country Mm. without borders, a country that we've created because there are stories and what we believe in coming from our perspective. As we constantly say on this podcast that we always have to put ourselves in someone else's shoes until we hear and understand and listen to someone else's story, we don't quite understand what their perspective is. The same way as this woman, she's going to judge you and Ricardo, whether or not you guys actually do share a story or not. But is she... What questions is she asking you? Is she really listening to who you are and what you become as a unit? Like, I think that's mm, right. that's what this, what Patricia is trying to tell us. It's all about these stories that, that we create, yeah. the family that we come from or the family that we've separated from that's made us who we are. And we just need to understand that each of us have experienced different life journeys. Mm-hmm. But we are all individuals that shouldn't be labeled because of the country that we come from. It's more than that. Right. It's about who we are and the stories that we're telling. I'm right. snapping. Yes. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. That's well said. Yeah. It's that heart forward girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> yeah. Stories are important. They are important, especially since all of our journeys are so individual. And that was really highlighted for me, too, Mariana, when you were saying that, you know, you're you're from Colombia. You were born in mm-hmm. Colombia and yet you don't know a lot of the myths and stories in this book. Does that make mm-hmm. you less Colombian mm-hmm. than somebody else? No, no you have right. a different story. That's it. And by make me more empathetic because I, I do come from those are are yes my initial roots. They're in you They're somewhere. In me. Yeah. So I know I my hear people. Them in you. Yeah. Yeah. I understand my people. <laughs> also, the way you roll your R's is pretty magical. <laughs> <laughs> Give it I to us one that. time. <laughs> Go ahead. Say say something. Ricardo. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Ferrocarril. <laughs> I Gets bet the baby's kicking right She's now. Like, oh, <laughs> Give me more, mama. All right, gals, I got a finale question for you. Whoa, let's do it. Okay. All right, without thinking, you got to answer quick. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Not nervous. If you had to flee from your home and go somewhere brand new to live, what three items would you have to take with you? Go. Uh, oh, my God. My cell phone, my charger, and a photo of my mom and dad. Oh, that's lovely. My wedding ring, my, uh, my Kubaton, and... <sighs> For, and my credit card, probably. My credit card. <laughs> oh. Yeah, those are practical. Yeah. 
I was going to say my Yeti water bottle. Yeah, that's my a phone charger. But without <laughs> saying my phone, that's pretty shit. <laughs> and my bliss deck. <laughs> Get it. Get it. Of course. Of course. <laughs> really important shit, you know. Love it. <laughs> All right, I'm taking over the outro today. Excuse me? Do I sound like Brandy? Thank you all so much for listening. Oh my God. (laughs) If you have an insider question you'd like us to discuss on an episode, shoot us an email at arethesebooksdrunk at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on our listener questions segment. You outro pirate. (laughs) Well, y'all, Emma's way too humble to plug it herself, but last week she was a guest on the Survival Jobs podcast. Yeah, catch our girl on episode 15 wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can find them on Instagram at Survival Jobs Pod. Get it, Emma? Yes, Emma. I guess I'm doing this. Next week, (laughs) we'll be reading to the end of the book. Yeah! And as mentioned in last week's episode, we have a very special guest joining us for the final episode on this book. My mom, who's originally from Medellin, Colombia, and she will be our very special guest host. This should be an exceptionally special episode. Stay tuned on our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk to find out next week's cocktail and, of course, mocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's always happy hour. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, Mariana. Don't get any ideas about taking over my outro, Emma. Ciao, Chico. Bye. Bye.